Welcome to Passion. For more information about Passion, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Be a lady tonight. Luck be a lady tonight. Is there anybody in here who does not know who that is? Come on, Brooklyn, do you know who that is? Who? Ah, Frank somebody, is that what you said? Uh, okay, uh, Frank Sinatra, she's close, I'm proud of Good job, Brooklyn, I didn't think there was any way in the world. Well, uh, some of y'all about had a religious experience when I played that. I'd like to have a stage like that with, a, you know, okay, anyway. Well, fortune cookies, horseshoes. Four leaf clovers, rabbit's feet, it's this concept of luck. In fact, um, a lot of athletes will tell you that they would, be, they would rather be lucky than good, which I'm not sure about that, but it, they say it anyway. Uh, I started thinking about luck. Did you know that our society is so caught up in luck that folks that are poor will spend money they don't have to play a system that the odds are so stacked against them that there is no possible way for them to ever win, but they're relying on luck, right? The problem with that is this, is that as believers, there is a better way to live. I, I'm concerned that that even some of us in the church think that we, we would be at our highest level of living if we were living lucky. But what I came to tell you this morning is that there is a different way to live. And I believe that it is a much better way to live. I declare to you that it is better to live blessed than to live lucky. <laughs> right? And so what I want to do this morning is as we uh, go through this series over the next few weeks, I want us to deal with living a life that is blessed rather than waiting on chance or waiting on the odds to get in our favor to take the steps necessary to produce blessing in our life. Now, I want to read some uh, passages of Scripture to you. Let, let me just tell you this as we get started this morning. I'm going to try to stay a little closer to my notes this morning because I've got some really good material that I don't want you to miss, some quotes that I think will help and some, some information. So if, if you see me hanging around here a little bit more than I normally do, you'll understand why. But I don't want to miss this. So we've been in Genesis in the beginning series. I want to take you back to Genesis and show you what God's intention from the very beginning was for us as individuals and as members of his family. And then we're going to launch off of that and show you how we should live. Genesis chapter 5, one, verse 1 and 2 says this. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. So from the very beginning, at the very first moment that God was in his creative mode, he created mankind and blessed them. It shows from the very first moment that God's desire was to bring a blessing on us as individuals and that we were actually mandated to live a blessed life. So we know what happened. Because of Adam and Eve's disobedience, we now find ourselves living under a curse, and we have to deal with that curse now because of what took place in the garden. But God's intention and initial purpose in all of our lives was to create in us a blessed life. we got to know that. Deuteronomy chapter 28, I don't have time to read this entire passage. I'm giving you homework right now. You ought to go and read Deuteronomy chapter 28, 
verses 1 through 14. Now, I would also encourage you not to stop at verse 14 and go on down to 15 and recognize that anytime God talks about a blessing, there is a flip side to that called a curse. And if we don't operate in obedience to obtain the blessing, then we are operating on the curse side of the equation and we get ourselves in trouble. So for your own good, go home and read the entire chapter and recognize that as God is speaking to the children of Israel and giving them instructions about their blessing, he also gives them information about their curse. But... For sake of time, let me summarize because what happens in Deuteronomy chapter 28 is that we discover that God makes promises to bless us in our family, in our fields, which is our work, in our finances. And so he blesses us in so many ways that he summarizes the whole thing in verse 6 when he says, you will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. I like that passage of scripture. How many of you know that God wants us to be so blessed that it doesn't matter if we're coming or going? We ought to be blessed. That's the life that he wants for us. Blessings coming from every direction. So we are destined for blessing. I want to be blessed. Anybody else in here want to be blessed? Because the, the alternative, alternative is not very good. Right? Okay, so you're with me. We want to be blessed. So how do we live a blessed life? Well, I believe that there are four ways to live that ensure that we will be blessed. See, I don't want to play a game of chance. I want some guarantees. What, what can I guarantee? Well, I've discovered that if we live four particular ways, we can guarantee that we will be blessed. And the first one is this. In order to live a blessed life, we must live a generous life. I didn't get one amen. <laughs> Y'all aren't going to like this. I can tell already. The only way to live a blessed life is to live a generous life. In fact, I want you to say this with me I, just so I can get you to agree with me. All right, here you go. Say this after me. The generous life is a blessed life. Okay, just making sure you're agreeing with me whether you want to or not. All right, so let me take you to Proverbs chapter 11. Verse 24 through 25, listen to what the writer says to us because there is a guarantee in here that we need to hear. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24 and 25, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Let me give you the New Testament version of that. Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So it's extremely clear from God's word that in order to live a blessed life, you must also live a generous life. In fact, I want to say it like this to you this morning. Generosity is a cornerstone in having a blessed life because the presence of or the lack of Generosity in our lives gives us a very clear peek into our soul, our spiritual condition, and our life. Okay, I'm getting ready to make a statement that's going to blow some of your minds. And you're going to have to stop and think about it just a moment. And I'm going to give you that opportunity. Because on the surface level, what I'm getting ready to say is going to strike some of you as either really harsh or really wrong. But I think I can prove it to you. Here it is. Are you ready? Here's a couple things I want to tell you about generosity this morning. The first one is this. Without generosity, you cannot become spiritually mature. Think about that a moment. Without generosity, you cannot become spiritually mature. Because, here's why. I'm going to prove it to you. I believe that generosity is and always will be one of the genuine character traits of a follower of Christ. 
Now, what we've done over the course of at least my lifetime is we have changed the standards of measure for maturity. We have said, if you can dress right, oh, y'all didn't ever go to that church. If y'all can dress right, then I know you're spiritually mature because of the way that you carry yourself and you're dressed appropriately. Some of that is so foreign to some of you. That's good. I'm glad that's foreign to you. All right. We changed the standard of measures to say if you can sing good enough, then you must be spiritually mature. If you can preach and give the right inflection at the right moment and get people dancing and shouting as you preach, then you must be spiritually mature. If you can dance right, if you can shout right, if you can prophesy right, then that is an indication that you must be spiritually mature. But what I would declare to you is that we've messed the measuring stick up. Because if you go back into the New Testament, what you discover is that in Acts, the community around the church recognized the maturity of the believers, that they were genuinely devoted to Christ, not by how much they could sing or how well they could sing, not by whether they could dance, not by whether they could prophesy, not by whether they could preach. What set the believers in the early day apart from everybody else was their generosity. Their generosity stood out in such stark contrast to the society in which they lived that they begin to recognize there's something different about that group of people. When a group of people will sell everything they own and pull it all together to take care of the orphans and the widows and the needy in the community, at that moment they went, man, there's something different about them. They must really love Jesus. And what we want is people to look at us dance and shout and sing and prophesy and preach and go, well, they really love Jesus. There's only one problem with that. You can dance and shout and prophesy and preach and not even know Jesus. I didn't say you'd prophesy correctly. I just said you could. It's called prophylying. So we've messed the measuring stick up. The, the New Testament church had a culture of generosity that we have lost. Randy Alcorn said it like this. He said, if Christ is not the Lord over our money and our possessions, and I would add our time and our talent, then he is not our Lord. Powerful statement. See, Jesus understood and made it very clear that where our treasures are, our hearts would follow. Then he goes on and he teaches us in Matthew chapter 25 that we are each given an allotment of talent. Sometimes I wish they would have changed that word when they were writing it because it makes us think of ability. And although it does have implications for ability, when they are using the word talent there, it is all-encompassing. It's not just your ability. It's your time. It's your finances. It's your possessions. It's everything about your life. And Matthew chapter 25 teaches us that we are expected to develop that talent, that all-encompassing element of our life, and then generously give it back to the Master and we're taught this, if we don't, we are cursed. In other words, Jesus said that if I don't have all your things, I don't have you. Alcorn goes on to say this. He says, I have never seen a mature Christian who was also not a mature steward because giving is a part of growing. See, your generosity with your time, your generosity with your money, your generosity with your talent reveals your maturity level. And I just want to remind you this morning that disobedience in one area overrides obedience in another area. Because partial obedience is complete disobedience. I hope you heard that. Partial obedience is really complete disobedience. Lack of giving in any area of your life reveals immaturity. And you say, well, well, how does that work? Well, can you become mature while disobeying? Think about that statement a moment because, see, what we've understood in our family, at least I think we've got a grasp on this, is that disobedience is a sign or an indicator of immaturity. Come on, parents. Like, I have never met a parent who said, my child is mature. Because they continue to disobey me. I've never heard that. In fact, what I've heard is this. They say this. That kid of mine, he needs his tail whipped and needs to grow up and do what I tell him to do. Am I right? I know y'all ain't never said that, but I've said that. 
because what we recognize is that our children's maturity is recognizable when they begin to operate and live up to what we've asked them to do or in some cases even commanded them to do. So we recognize in our children that, that obedience reveals maturity, but in our own Christian walk we don't recognize that disobedience reveals our immaturity. See, too many of us claim to be spiritually mature, but we are disobedient in the area of generosity, and what that does is it reveals us to be liars. Because if we're disobedient in one area, all the obedience you can muster up in another area does not override the disobedience in that area. What really happens is we got to recognize is that there is a fundamental connection that exists between our spiritual life and our attitude towards money and possessions and time. I, I want to say that again because that's a new concept for some of us. We compartmentalize our lives. You, you do recognize that. We put church on the weekend on Sunday morning and then we live the rest of our life the way we want to and we compartmentalize and never recognize that there is a correlation that goes on. There is a connection whether we recognize it or not. And so I want to say this statement again. Our... There is a fundamental connection that exists between our spiritual life and our attitude towards money, possessions, and our time. Our attitude either reveals gratitude and trust, or it reveals our immaturity and lack of gratitude and lack of trust. So what I want to challenge you with this morning is this statement right here. Don't parade around here as if you're spiritually mature just because you can sing and just because you can play and just because you can pray and just because you can prophesy and just because you're used in spiritual gifts, that is not how we discern whether you are really spiritual or not. Well, that went over huge. The scale by which we judge whether or not that you are fully mature in Christ is your generosity level. Not, And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we're checking how much you give in the offering and those of you that give a lot, we declare that you're spiritually mature because you can give a lot and it may not really cost you anything and that doesn't even reveal that you're mature. I'm talking an all-encompassing uh, attitude and spirit mode of operation of generosity that has implications for every area of your life. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever met a stingy, mature believer? And my answer is no. Because at the moment somebody becomes stingy, they reveal immaturity. Now, let me tell you something about generosity that you need to know. Number two, generosity goes against our nature. Anybody here this morning? Generosity goes against our nature. Andy Stanley says it best when he said this. He says, by nature, the concept of generosity is in direct conflict with the concept of self-preservation. See, we'd all like to have the reputation of being generous. Our problem is, is that we want to buy that reputation cheap. And the reputation for being generous does not come cheap. It will cost us. And it is when we begin to deal with generosity that the old man in us flares up. Because fear of lack grips our heart. Anybody ever been there? When God says, I want you to give everything you've got in your bank account, and suddenly the old man rises up and says, are you crazy? That wasn't God. That was the pizza I ate last night. We begin to justify our disobedience because the old man starts this raging, this war inside of us and reveals that, that there's fear in us. Anybody else ever been in a situation where you got everything you've got in your pocket and you're not sure how you're going to make it through the week and you go into a worship service or you meet somebody and God says, give it and that war starts? I have been there. That is a scary moment because generosity goes against our nature. Something about generosity has the tendency to pick at the scab left by the old man. 
You know, when you come into a relationship with Christ, the old man is supposed to be dead. But when you begin to talk about generosity, even believers tighten up because it it starts that battle all over again. There's still a war that rages and wages inside of us because that old man fights against generosity. What I've discovered is that generosity can in fact be a nail in the coffin. It is a tool by which God enables and empowers us when we branch out and become generous what happens is we begin to put another nail in the coffin of the old man and we beat that old man into subjection by being generous anybody in here ever watched the show on now called hoarders y'all some sick folks y'all watch them folks yeah they're crazy aren't they and we shake our head and go man this is nuts I couldn't live like this I mean one of them we watched this guy or this lady had thousands of purses I think it was that she all over the place. She's living in poverty, but thousands just hoarding. But did you know that the truth is, is that we're all hoarders by nature? You know why? Because we've been taught to be hoarders. Let, let me see if any of this sounds familiar. Get all you can get. Keep all you can. And the one who dies with the most toys wins. We were taught at a young age that we are that the, the mark of success is to go out and get everything that we can possibly buy. Doesn't matter whether we can afford it or not. Just go out and get everything we can buy and get it all as an emblem of success. Drive a car that we can't make the payments on. Live in a house that we can't afford. Come on, y'all. Buy clothes that we could find cheaper somewhere else, but we want to fit in and we want to be successful. That's what we've been taught. The only problem is, is that when we come into relationship with Jesus, Jesus teaches us that what we're supposed to do is get what we can get to give what we can give away. Let me make this statement. I want you to catch this and write it down if, if it will help you because I believe this is true. We are born selfish. that now. We are born selfish, so we must be born again generous. Did you catch that? We are born selfish, so we must be born again generous. Generosity is a major tool in our tool belt to fight the enemy of our life. That is a battle that we must fight because we were once slaves, and how many of you know that slaves are not generous? You do recognize that we were slaves, right? But when we come into relationship with Christ, the Bible declares that we are no longer slaves. Or are we? Let me put it to you this way. If we are unable to be generous with God, to God because we have become slaves to things then we're not really set free y'all didn't catch that let me put it to you this way if we can pay our iPhone bill but we can't pay our tithes then we're slaves I see y'all pow they snuck up on you didn't they I ambushed you if you can if you can pay for your internet, but then come to church say, I, oh, sorry, God, <laughs> Cox got my money. Then Cox is your God. Boy, it's tight in here, but I'm telling you the truth this morning. We can go out and give our time to eating out. We can go out and give our time to going to five movies a week. We can go out shopping four times a week, and then we can't be generous with God with two hours on a Sunday morning. serving. See, I've discovered this, is that if I am dishonoring God in order to maintain a lifestyle that I cannot afford, then I am not living the life of a disciple, but of a slave. And I have become a slave to the things that dictate how I use my money and how I use my time. Gordon McDonald says this, he says, generous giving is not about doling out extra amounts of money. It is about reorienting, 
reorienting the human heart in the direction of Christ so that we become transmitters of the same affection and care that Christ modeled in his time here. The only way that we reorient our heart with all of the things that we're told by society about get what you can get, keep what you can get, never give anything away, the only way that we can reorient our heart in the direction of Christ is to become generous. So if anybody should have a handle on generosity, if anybody on the planet now, walking on the planet right now, should have a handle on generosity, surely it should be believers. Then my question to you is, why is it that religious folks have the hardest time being generous? Explain that to me. You can say, that's not true. Yeah, it is. Go ask the waitress who doesn't want to wait on Christians on Sunday because they recognize, anybody been there? I've been there. I would rather wait on a non-Christian because a non-Christian will pay the 15%, but the Christian won't pay the 10%, so they're certainly not going to pay the 15%. Because what they do is go, well, if I can't give God 10%, I ain't going to give them 15%. And we justify the lack of generosity. And those of us that call ourselves by the name of the one that we say we're devoted to, Christian, should be the ones that are more generous than anybody. All you got to do is go back into the New Testament and read the story of Mary. The Bible declares that Mary comes in from a great distance to Jesus and she finally gets to him and she takes costly perfume. The Bible declares that it is a year's salary. Go think about that a moment. Everything that you're going to make before taxes in 2011, for some of you that's $5,000, for some of you that's $100,000, $200,000. We got a millionaire in here, don't we, I think? Oh, maybe not. Okay. But uh, somebody want to claim that blessing? But anyway, whatever that scope of income for you is, think about that for a moment. She brings it all in one offering. What's she going to do for the rest of the year? And she brings it generously and she lays it at Jesus' feet. And the only person that had a problem with it was one of Jesus' closest. One of the religious folks. One of Jesus' own disciples, Judas, reveals his heart. Because that's the lesson this morning that I'm trying to teach you is that generosity reveals our heart and our lack of generosity is usually revealed by the generosity of others y'all didn't catch that that was good I didn't even have that in my notes I just wrote it out yesterday as I was continuing to think about this our lack of generosity is usually revealed by the generosity of others because when somebody else steps out in faith and is generous and gives everything they have we look at them and we wag our finger and say they're crazy who do they think they are? Because you know what happens when they be, we're going to get there, but there's a guarantee, and I, I'm, I'm still in my own thunder. But they give generously, and the, the God steps in, and he gives back to them, and then we rail against their blessed life because it revealed our lack of generosity. Let me, if you don't believe that, let me, let me give you a glimpse into the financial side of our hoarding nature and also maybe a small glimpse into the hoarding side, not only on the financial side, but in our time into the body of Christ and show you how many people are really faking spiritual maturity in the body of Christ. This is eye-opening here. I'm getting ready to just pull the covers back and show you that most of the people who claim Jesus as their Savior are faking spiritual maturity. Let me show you. The average Christian today only gives... 2.5% of their income back into the kingdom of God. Ten percent minus two. Ah, what's wrong with that equation? Did you know that in the United States in 2007, this, this figure blows my mind. Please listen to this carefully. In 2007, in the United States of America, 
which we would claim is the most Christianized nation on the planet of earth, only 9% of all born-again adults gave 10% of their income. That means 91% are out there faking it, claiming blessings that they're not going to get because disobedience overrides obedience in other areas. How about this? The last study that was done that I'm aware of on how we use our time was done in 2003. It revealed that only 21% of American Christians volunteered any time at church in a given week. Now you know why that old phrase is so true that says 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. It's a reality. Only 20% of those attending church give any of their time. You'll remember that over the course of the beginning series that we've been in up until now, I've been saying that there are vis- there should be visible indicators of our trust and our love and our relationship with God. Visible indicators. So my question for you this morning is, does your checkbook reveal that you really love Jesus? Or does it reveal you really love Starbucks more than you love Jesus? Well, that was harsh. Does the way that you spend your time say that you much prefer the television over your preference for your God. Visible indicators of how we live our life. I would just declare to you this morning, based on what I've discovered, is that apparently the old man is still alive and well in most of us. Because generosity goes against our nature. Finally, I want to say this to you. There are not many things that you can take to the bank in your life. What's the old statement? There are only two things that are certain, death and taxes. I'm going to add a third. I think I can prove it to you. I'm a living testimony of this. Our family is a living testimony of this. And many of you in this room have tried this and discovered that this is true, what I'm getting ready to say. And that is this. Generosity is met with guaranteed generosity. See, the Bible declares that God cannot lie. He has to honor his word. You don't even have to pray for him to fulfill his word because he's obligated to fulfill his word. If he didn't fulfill his word, he would be a liar and then he wouldn't be God. But he's not a man that he should lie. He's God. If he said it, it's true. So when God said in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25, a generous man will prosper. You can take it to the bank and count on it. See. I want you to be blessed. As much as I want to be blessed, I want you to be blessed too. And what I am declaring to you today is that in order for you to live a blessed life, the only way that I can guarantee that for you is not with a prayer cloth and is not with a certain amount of oil on your forehead. The only way that I can guarantee that you will live a blessed life is if you will live a generous life because God is obligated to honor his word and his word said that a generous man will We know that, don't we? I mean, we've been taught that. We've been taught lessons like this. The man who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. We know that. We, we, We know that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We know that. We even know that Luke chapter 638 says this. We love this verse of scripture. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The only problem is, is even though we know all that, we don't live all that. I want to assure you this morning that this guarantee that I am guaranteeing you of, which is that generosity will be met with generosity, isn't just about money or even primarily about money. It's about every area of your life. Let me break it down for you just briefly. If you are generous in judgment, then you will receive generosity when you're judged. With the same measure you judge, you will be judged. 
If you are generous in service, then you will receive generosity in service. It's unbelievable that when you actually are generous with your time to the, towards the Lord, somehow, some way, somebody else, it's just like this circle, something comes back to you, somebody else comes along and serves you. Ever seen that happen? It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed that if you're generous in forgiveness, y'all know how to do this, if you're generous in trust, if you're generous in respect, in any area of your life, when you're generous, you're met with guaranteed generosity. And if we skew the shaken together part and the running over part and make it only about or primarily about money, then we've messed up because that's not just about your finances, that's about every aspect of your life. But I do want you to notice the progression or the order of that guarantee because most of us want God to do his part. You know what his part is, right? The shaking together, running over. Man, I've heard people claim that. Shake it together and let it run over, God. I claim that blessing on my life. The only problem is, is we missed the progression because the progression was that give and it shall be given. So the progression is, is that in order to get the guarantee, we got to take the first step and give. And then God mixes in his aspect and God multiplies what we give. Jesus didn't feed the 5,000 and then the little boy gave him the lunch. The little boy gave him the lunch first. He blessed it. He multiplied and he spread it out and it came back multiplied. That's how it works. Too many of us are waiting on God to do his part and we won't do our part. Give and it shall be given. Now. I'm almost done. But let me teach you something about money. Because how many of you know most of us spend our time thinking about money? Right? How am I going to get it? What am I going to do with it when I get it? What am I going to do if I don't get it? Right? Anybody had any of those thoughts this week? Okay. Let me teach you some things about money then. I just want to publicly declare, I've told you this before, but I want to make sure you understand our position here. I believe that the tithe is extremely important to you living a blessed life. According to Malachi chapter 3, one of the things that breaks the curse off of your life and off of your finances is the tithe. I just want to clear this up. It's really hard to live blessed when you're living cursed. A lot of us keep asking God, please bless me, bless me, bless me. But we live and intentionally live and willingly live under a cursed lifestyle. And then God can't override the, the, the curse on your life because he's obligated to fulfill his word. And if you're not obeying his word, then you're living under a curse that God places on you. And he's not going to take it off of you until you do the right thing. And according to Malachi chapter 3, one of the things that removes the curse off of our life is the tithe. Now let me clear this up for you very clearly. I, I've never told you what I'm getting ready to tell you, but I want you to understand this so that we don't count ourselves further along in the spiritual walk than we really are. Okay, I'm getting ready to help somebody. Tithe isn't really giving. It's returning. That's a new concept, isn't it? I don't know that I'd ever really thought about that before, but the reality is that when the offering bucket comes by and you give your tithe, you didn't really give, you just returned. We are only, when we tithe, we are only giving back what is required. In fact, let me say this to you very clearly. Tithing isn't really being generous. My sons are not being generous when they clean their room. I was being generous when I gave them a room. They are only being obedient when they clean the room. That's not generosity. Generosity is when my kids on their own volition come back into my house, clean their room, and clean some other room. See, we become generous when we step past what is expected or required 
and move into what is unexpected. I say that to you because I want you to be blessed. And the Bible declares that generosity is always met with guaranteed generosity. We've gotten it wrong in the body of Christ, I believe, where we've taught people just tithe and you'll be blessed. There is a curse that is broken off your life. But I want you to move beyond just being uncursed. I want you to move into the level of blessing. And according to Malachi chapter 3, the first step is tithing. That is not being generous. That is returning. The second step, let me say it like this. The the Bible declares in Malachi chapter 3 that the tithe opened the window. But what I am saying to you is there is another level of giving, which is giving offerings that actually smashes the window. Because generosity is met with guaranteed generosity. So there is this first level of, I even hate to call it giving, of returning called tithes. That I hope all of you do so that the curse will come off your finances. So that you will now be positioned so you can go one step further which is in the offerings. And at the moment you begin to give offerings that which costs you something then your generosity will be met with generosity. But then there's a third level of giving too, and that's painful offerings. Most of us never graduate to that level. One of the greatest painful offerings ever recorded in Scripture was the offering that the widow gave because painful offering has nothing to do with dollar amount. It has everything to do with your heart. And at the moment that we step into that realm of giving, some of you have been there, some of you have not, some of you need to get there, where you actually give to the place that it hurts. David said, I won't give anything that doesn't cost me something. He understood this, that at that moment when we reach that level of generosity, God responds. Let me clearly state this give you one illustration or one reference resource and then I'll be done. Please don't misunderstand me. Our giving does not purchase miracles. But it can restrict them because God will not undo a curse that we willingly invite. Giving offerings, no. Giving your time, no. Then you're asking God to violate Himself. It will not work. We cannot pray a blessing on you that will override the curse you are living under if you're living under it in disobedience as a direct result of disobedience to God. So if you want to live a blessed life, anybody in here want to live a blessed life? Okay. Here you go. I'm teaching you right here. First level. If you want to live a blessed life, you don't do that by going and getting a Fortune 500 job, although I hope you get one. That won't make you blessed. You don't live a blessed life because you have a nice car in your driveway. That won't be the signifying factor that you're blessed. Let me tell you what will we will know you're being blessed when you're living generous. I read this book by a pastor in Texas. His name is Robert Morris. He's on TV. You ought to get that book, by the way. It's called The Blessed Life. He deals exclusively with finances in the, in the book. It is a powerful book. It presents a very balanced, because most of the time when preachers preach about finances, I'm scared because they skew it to their own good most of the time. And we're dumb enough as sheep to follow, and they live in penthouses and <clears throat> whatever. His book is balanced. I wish I could say I understand his book completely, but I've not even gotten to that level. But you ought to read it. It's the story of how he and his wife began when they didn't have anything to be extremely generous until today they give away 90% and live on 10%. Most of us don't like people like that because it reveals our lack of generosity. Let me just challenge you this morning. The reason that we ask you to give on Sunday morning and the reason that we challenge you to work one, worship one, it'll take you two hours on your Sunday morning while you could be out eating it wherever. 
started to say Bojangles, but then we would all be blessed. There's no Bojangles here. If you've never eaten Bojangles, you don't even understand the anointing on that statement. Because <clears throat> if there was a Bojangles here, I might have a hard time worshiping one, working one as well. But uh, I'm just being honest with you, because I would go get me a cinnamon. Give me a little dance right here. Y'all don't even know. But the reason that we challenge you to work one, worship one, and give up two hours of your life, hear me. We do that. We ask you to give. We ask you to serve. Not just for our good. We ask you to do those things for our caught that. See, most of us have been in church for so long that we really think that the only reason that the preacher asked us to give in the offering to serve is to do him a favor. That's not what that is about in this house. Let me tell you right now, I want you to give in the offering, and I want you to serve on a weekend, once a month, twice a month, however often you can do it, not for my good, although I do benefit from it, don't misunderstand. That is not my primary reason. The reason is, is I want to be able to look at you and go, blessed. I can see it. Blessed. I don't want you to struggle through life. What kind of pastor would I be? What kind of friend? What kind of family member would I be? I want us to give and to worship and serve so that we will be blessed. So how generous are you? How generous are you with your time? How generous are you with your talent? How generous are you with your finances? Lack of generosity reveals your spiritual maturity and gives us a snapshot a small picture of your heart. And what I am praying that God will do is that will God that God will cause each of us to learn how to live according to his image. And one of his character traits is the trait of generosity. And so if we are going to say that we are one of his, shouldn't that be one of our character traits? I want you to stand with me this morning. We had serious discussions when we first started in my living room with our core team about how we would do offerings around here. Anybody ever been in one of those offerings where if you don't give everything, you feel like dirt. Because, you know, people can manipulate us, right? Have you all ever noticed around here that we don't spend a whole lot of time on offerings? Have you all ever noticed how low-key it is? In fact, I guess the only way we could be any lower is to just put a bucket out in the lobby. and <laughs> On the way out, do what you can. We did that because we believed this. How you respond in your giving of your time and your finances and your talents. You don't have to twist your arm. If you want to be spiritually mature, and we're all on that journey, I hope, then what will happen is you will respond out of maturity. We'll try to teach you if you're not there, but we won't strong arm you into something that you're not. We want you to be spiritually mature. I want you to grow up. So you've got to be generous. Father, this morning, search our hearts. We want to be like you. We want to represent our Father well. I know I do. And so, Father, let me just pray about me this morning. Father, I pray that you would help my heart and that I would be more generous. That I wouldn't spend as much time thinking about what I have or don't have. That, Father, you would help me to think about how can I help others how can I expand your kingdom? How can I invest in what you're interested in? How can I be generous? Father, I give a lot of time to your kingdom already. But Father, if I need to give more, help me to be generous. Father, I've given you my talents, but if there are other talents that I need to be offering to you, Father, I pray, help me to be generous. God, I pray you'd help me to teach my children to be generous followers your son Jesus I pray that they would not pick up from me and Julie and any member of our family or from this body 
that it's okay to be stingy and it's okay to hoard. Help us to teach them that the generous life is the blessed life. Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice. Some of those of us that are standing here or watching over the internet have gripped everything they have as tightly as they can. They're scared to death that they're going to lose what they have. Father, I pray that you would change our hearts. Replace our fear with trust. Father, if you've already blessed us in so many ways that we can't even seem to count our blessings, then Father, I pray that you would cause us to have a spirit of gratitude and we wouldn't expect even more because we're spoiled. Father, I pray that instead we would take every stock of everything that you've blessed us with and we would be so grateful that we would actually look for opportunities to give away what you've given us. God, I call us as a body to develop a spirit of generosity. Part and parcel with that, Father, that also calls us to have a spirit of faith because there are going to come moments when we're going to have to step out in faith even when we don't have. And so, Father, as a body, I call us to that place, that level of living, back to the New Testament level where we have enough faith to be generous, to care for one another, to help one another when we're in need. God, I pray that you would challenge us to that and help us to live up to that. And Father, I pray that you would meet that mature way of living with guaranteed generosity. So Father, right now I speak a blessing over my folks today. Father, I pray you would bless them beyond measure. I pray they'd get the progression right and they would give first. But Father, I pray at the moment that they respond in a generous manner, that, Father, you would bless them beyond their wildest dreams and they would turn and give it back and you would bless them again. I pray that you would do that in Jesus' mighty name. Every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, let me say this to you. God modeled great generosity because while we were still sinners, He sent His Son, Jesus, the greatest model of giving he gave his own son to die for you and if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your savior and you're not in relationship with him it's very simple you just receive the gift just as if you would receive a gift from a friend he's given the greatest gift if that's you we want to pray for you intelligently we will not embarrass you but we do want to put some materials in your hand if you don't know Jesus as your Savior would you just raise your hand and pull it right back down so that we can pray for you this morning is there one we'll wait just a moment Father we bless your name this morning you've taught us to give now help us to give and we'll live the blessed life in Jesus name and everybody said amen we're going to be generous to you this morning on your way out our greeters have a special little gift for you just as a way of saying that we love you and we appreciate you. Plus, it'll help you remember what we talked about today. God bless you. Thank you for being here. Be blessed this week. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 